With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back from time off. Terry's Talking is back in the saddle. <laughs> David Campbell, your host of the Terry's Talking podcast, and I'm joined Back from his trip, actually, you got back sooner than I did, Terry. Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, how was your time off? Well, we went up to the Upper Peninsula for 10, ga- 10 days, and it, as one reader said, your annual UP column. And um, it, it's fun to write about that stuff up there because it's so different. And I have to admit, we were on a trail hiking, and it's called the uh, North Country Trail, which is sort of their version of the Appalachian Trail. It goes way up a lot of the northern states and that. And I just knew there was along Lake Superior there's a a uh, supposed to be a cool mail uh a cool uh, lighthouse. As it turned out though, that was true, but the, also there was a uh, all this shipwreck stuff. These this wreckage right on the shore from different ships. It's all kind of embedded in the sand and it's it's not a super hard place to get to, but it's somewhat remote and so that was cool to run into that. And of course that led to the Edmund Fitzgerald and Gordon Lightfoot running through my brain. Now that was about eighty miles away from where we were. So that wasn't <laughs> pieces of the Edmund Fitzgerald there. But there were enough different parts of boats and everything else to make you realize, you know, um man, it doesn't take much for uh, as I ever talked about too, how one phone call, whatever, suddenly our, our lives can get wrecked by different things. And that's how the storms come off of Lake Superior. That's uh, exactly how what happens when uh, football or baseball seasons can go awry and all those kind of things. It's funny you mention uh, Gordon Lightfoot because we went to Ireland while we yes. were off on hiatus here. I went with my wife and kids. My kids, my daughter had been when she was six months old. My son had never been, and they got to go with their grandma, who's born and raised in Ireland. So we, we got to meet a bunch of their cousins and everything like that. But we went to some uh, music sessions in some of the bars back in Ireland, and there was a song that sounded like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I'm like, wow, this sounds like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. My son said, yeah, it's Gordon Lightfoot. And it wasn't, but it was kind of a, okay. a similar feel to it. But uh, I got to tell you a story about Ireland, Terry. So there's a mountain in County Mayo where my dad is from called Crow Patrick. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of um, people, a lot of Catholics make a religious pilgrimage up this mountain, Crow Patrick, and you're supposed to pray while you go up. And when you get up to the top, you're supposed to say prayers. So it takes three and a half to four hours to do this thing. Um, it's all rocks and sheep the whole way up. And oh, it's really wow. steep. And so my son and I do it and we get to the top and I'm looking and there's a, you know, a young man sitting, looking out over the view where you can, you can just see for miles and miles. It was a rare, mm-hmm. clear day. And he's wearing a shirt that says like Columbus Fife and Drum on the back. And I said, hey, you're by yourself. Do you want me to take a picture of you while you're up here? And he says, sure. And I said, are you from Columbus? And he goes, no, I'm from Canfield. Really? (laughs) In the Youngstown area. And I said, oh, we're from Cleveland. And he said, oh, my dad went to St. Edward High School. And we're big, you know, we're big Cleveland sports fans. So here we are. I travel to Ireland. We drive out in the middle of nowhere and we climb this mountain and there's somebody from Northeast Ohio. So I told Brian I would uh, take his picture and I would. uh, And so I thought I'd mention him on the podcast here. Well, I just wondered, too, and then he was going to ask you about the Browns and you have to give an opinion. and. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so Ireland is very hot now in terms of uh tourism it seems for, for people around here I know several people that have gone there so 
Yeah, yeah. And it, it was nice. We kind of had a mix of touristy stuff and family mm-hmm. stuff. So it was all good. So um, so it's great to be back. But Terry, before we go on, we got a lot to get to. I, I know you want you went to see Chase DeLauder. We want to talk about that. But real quick, before I forget, Darcy Egan, the longtime outdoors writer for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, a few weeks ago, he was inducted into the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Hall of Fame. And boy, talk about something that was deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got to meet uh, the governor and and it was a beautiful day down there. And um, a great day for Darcy and his wife, Laura. And I just want to say congratulations to Darcy, who we, we've both known a long time and uh, well-deserved. So way to go, Darcy. The, so, nice thing about, go. the nice thing about Darcy was uh, I had worked at other papers where there were other outdoor writers. They knew a lot about fishing and hunting and that. But they were not very good writers. Uh, Darcy is a very skilled writer because that's the thing. Like if you're the outdoor writer or you're the baseball writer or the basketball writer, uh, a lot of times we put the subject first, but the object, in other words, what you really do, the writing, that's the key part. It's just like when I tell uh, younger people want to go into journalism or radio, TV, whatever, I say, you better love writing or you better love broadcasting. Because that's what you're going to do first. I mean, someone who loves sports, but the writing is a chore and it's just something that get knocked out of the way. You're probably not going to be very good at it, and you, in the end, you may not even be very happy doing it. So Darcy combined the best of both. I mean, he knew his stuff, he knew his walleye and everything else, and he also could write in a pretty entertaining manner. Because I'm not a big hunter fisherman, but I do check out his columns now and then just because I enjoy how he presents the story. Yeah, well said, Terry. He's such a good writer. You don't have to know much about the outdoors at all to enjoy this stuff. So anyway, congratulations, Darcy, and uh, way to go. So, all right, Terry, I think we should start with the Guardians. When we last podcasted, mm-hmm. they were in this thing. And now, as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon, they're 59 and 66. They're six games out. I wanted to ask you right off the bat here, is this thing over? Yes. How's all that? Right. Well, that... That's what I thought you were going to say. And I guess the second question is, like, whose fault is this? And and we're hearing from a lot of fans about that are upset about this. Is there fault? And if so, who's to blame for what's gone on here? Well, I guess if you were to say people want to jump on the Savali trade, but even had they kept Savali, it's hard to imagine that they would have pitched any whoever was in, has a spot in the rotation. Uh, I get, you know, some people would say Syndergaard or whatever, but really with all the rookies, the, the rotation is not, when you have the best ERA after the all-star break for a starting rotation, rotation is not the problem. Uh, I think it's just been passed over, always been hurt. The Josh Naylor industry, uh, um, the Josh Naylor uh, injury was devastating because it wasn't just that he was on his way to a career year, 100 RBIs at 300. Uh, that took the guy out of the lineup behind Jose. And Jose tailed off since then, and you can see Jose swinging at bad pitches. So um, you could argue that if they kept uh, Rosario, they would have got a little more of the offense out of it. And that's probably true because Arias has not hit that much, but they were looking at it. I give up on Josh Bell. 602 plate appearances from August 2nd of 2022 to August 2nd of 2023, 12-month period. On August 2nd of 22, he was traded by Washington to San Diego. And then over the winter, he signed with Cleveland. Then he played here. 602 plate appearances. He batted 219 with like 15 homers. You can't say Miami fixed him because he walked off the plane and started hitting. I mean, it wasn't. you didn't even have time to talk to a coach. You barely got time to find his bats. Yeah, that's something. And, uh, you know, the, the level of, I don't, I don't want to say outrage, but just irritation from the fans has been kind of head turning to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but let me read you a couple of emails we got, Terry. Um, this one's from Martin Janico from Menor. He says, how is it that owners put up with an incompetent executive team on a light hitting team? They trade Rosario, a real hustle guy for a worthless pitcher. Then these geniuses trade a good pitcher in Savali for prospects. We needed hitting and did not consult with key players or the manager about these moves. We don't know if that's true, Martin, but they turned a competitive team into a losing team. Pathetic. Cleveland deserves better. And uh, this is from a longtime listener, Neil in Jamestown, New York. He says, hey, Terry, how much blame should Antonetti and Chernoff take 
on the construction of this pathetic offensive team. I'd like to give them more of a break due to past performance, but it's hard to do that right now. Um, you're probably seeing a lot of this kind of thing too, mm. right, Terry, from the fans. Should they be upset? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the front, not so much for this last bunch of moves, but the front office had a bad winner, period. And you put $23 million out of your $81 million payroll in Zanino and Bell. You could argue, now all of a sudden we had Josh Bell's a bunch of fans. I didn't get a single email loving Josh Bell until he went to get on that plane to Miami. But <laughs> He took his talents to Miami, he didn't he? He took his talents to <laughs> South Beach. There you go, another guy. And those two guys, Zanino doesn't even make it to midseason. Bell you dump out of because you're afraid of having to pay him $17 million. And you anticipated that he would – come around to hitting 20, 25 homers, and now maybe he'll end up doing that. But I have to admit, I was becoming alarmed because I was taking that time he had in San Diego and starting to roll it over into Cleveland because it's just a long time, 602 plate appearances. And, you know, there was very little power, and he drew a lot of walks. I mean, a slow guy drawing a lot of walks was about it. And he's bad defensively at first, so he had to be a DH and hit. So if you really – I fault that. Those are two big moves. I mean, they Antonetti said, well, when you go into free agent market, it's always a gamble. And that, well, that's correct. But you did put 25% of your payroll in that area on those two guys. So you start with that. Then, of course, um, making them look worse is they decide to move off of both Benson – and Nolan Jones, of course, what happens is they turn around and hit. I have to admit, the Benson thing has surprised me. Here's another guy. He had over 500 at-bats in AAA and hit at like 245. Now, his OPS was over 800 because he drew some walks and had some power. He was striking out nearly every three times in AAA. So I didn't see this, but he's, you know, he's, he's continuing to play pretty well with the Reds. Nolan Jones was one where... Um, they dumped out early on him because he didn't really have a lot of, not a ton of bats in AAA, and they certainly were better than Benson. And even when he came up in 2022, he has some nice moments. So, this, so I'm going to throw this at you, Terry. I think what are they? What's the old saying in baseball? It's the only profession where you can succeed 30% of the time and be yeah. a star, right? So you look at. Antonetti and Chernoff and their track record, like Neil was mentioning, and just a remarkable run. Yeah. And I, I think that when these guys saw Bieber go down and Mackenzie yes. go down and Naylor go down and all these, and, and you know, to a lesser extent, Cam Gallagher and just injury after injury. And these guys live in the world of simulations and projecting the future. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right, Terry. I think when Naylor went down, I think they looked and they're like, all right, we're going to try and hold this thing together and, and, and maybe win the division against the Twins. And then what? Like we go into the playoffs and get swept by, you know, in the first round. Like, And I, I think as they played this scenario out, I think they said, all right, with Naylor, McKenzie, Quantrill, like this is not going to work out well for us. And we need to start planning for next season and start playing these young guys and start making some plans. I think they realized that right at the trade deadline. And this is exactly what they thought would happen. And they, they've admitted, like you said, we messed up on Josh Bell and Mike Zanino. Like that was our... That was our three at bats. We have, we had our three at bats. This was one of the seven where we struck out, and this is not our year. And we're just going to start looking and working toward the future. Am I on the right track with that? Yes, and the Bieber thing was a killer to them because they had. Um, I I wish I knew the players involved, but I was talking to somebody from another organization, and they had a couple of very big deals pending, and they were kind of trying to just wait a little longer to. Um, See if they get more. Of course, if you remember, his last couple outings, Bieber wasn't pitching well. So suddenly interest was cooling. But they were going to get prospects and a hitter to help now. It was going to be uh, the type of uh, deal perhaps they, they made with Clevenger. It was one of the, something like that. But then he got hurt. And, of course, they're stuck now with him because even if he comes back and pitches in September, you might as well come back open next season with him. It's hard to imagine getting a lot in the offseason. 
with so that was that cost him. And then, I mean, look, Cal Quantrill keeps giving up six runs in these minor league rehab starts. I mean, it, they've been concerned about his arm. McKenzie, um, is he going to need? He still may end up needing Tommy John. They don't know that until he comes back fully and and tries to throw. So you're correct on all the all the rotation guys there. That was a big part of last year. Quantrill, McKenzie, and Bieber each made at least 30 starts. None of them missed a start. Not a single one. And that was the anchor for the team. They pitched more innings. They get what meant West um, wear and tear in the bullpen. And they just had a year where a lot of things went right. I wrote about that over the weekend. Uh, I mean, when you're setting a team record for wins and last at bat and um, – it it just was one run games. Yep. Yeah, it was funny because Francona almost was prophesying that because he said several times over the winter in a, in a spring training, I don't want last year to be kind of a feel good story, sort of a fluke. I want it to be the start of something. Well, you look back in the rearview mirror now, and it was more of that. It was more of a feel good story where a lot of things went right. Now, meantime, the other problem because now we'll see if Benson and or Nolan Jones become a regular outfitter over time and, and becomes a good, uh, productive player. But because you gave up on them and because Oscar Gonzalez fell apart, and now uh, I have to eat my SpongeBob because he's looked pathetic since he's come back. I mean, his batting average isn't bad, but there's been no power. Um, because of that, so they turn around and they make a trade for uh, Manzardo because they want – they've targeted this guy they love him they think he's going to be a really good hitter uh i guess some people well, is it first base and already have a first base and i don't care where anybody plays right now other than third base they'll find a spot for him because they need hitters so that they made the move on that one and by the way I, the one thing that bothers me about that trade isn't so much giving up on savali and the season because i just fear that savali could get hurt at any moment and with five trips to the injured list in uh, less than three years, is that all you got in the trade is Manzardo. So uh, he's got he's to come through. And, of course, the typical fashion, you know, he's coming back from a sore shoulder. Uh, he start, he's playing now, I think, down in the Arizona complex and, and that stuff. So it, it, they had to know they were going to get hammered on this stuff, and they did. Yeah, and that's what's going on right now. We're we're seeing fan emails. They're going to take the heat, and they're going to look to 2024. And they, I think they knew this was how it was going to play out. So, um, so Terry, th- there's some a question that's floating out there that that I'm hearing around town. Where is the next big bat in the Guardians lineup? And you went out to see someone that might fit that description. You want to talk about uh, your visit to the East Side to see Chase DeLauder? Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember when they drafted. Chase the water from James Madison. And I thought, well, you don't see that very often. That, Of course, they've never had a number one pick out of James Madison. And then we find out they draft him and he has a broken foot. I'm like, oh, great. You know, is this the hitting version of Brady Aiken or something? And then we find out that the, the, the broken foot then needed surgery, I think it was in January, to fix it again. So in spring training, I remember it came out about the same time as Daniel Espinosa, Espino rather, needed um, to get his shoulder shut down or whatever they're doing with it. So there's a couple of first-round picks. I'm thinking, well, I won't see those guys this year. So we didn't hear anything. And all of a sudden, I saw some, start to see some tweets while DeLauder is playing at Lake County. So I just kind of paid attention. He's like getting two hits every day. So I'm watching this and watching this. So then last week, I really kind of looked up deeper in the stats. And right now, as we speak, he's batting, David, 382. I know it's only 100 summit bats, but 382 is 382. And he's 21. This is his first taste of pro ball. So I went out to see him. And the cool thing was, in fact, I have a friend of mine who follows the Guardians or whatever, and he goes, are they ever going to have any, like, some, remember you used to have those big guys, like, Tommy and Bell and these guys, ever going to have any of those guys that, you know, come up? Well, 
here's your big guy. Six <laughs> foot four, 235, 21 years old. And uh, David, he uh, he's a fascinating story. I talked to him afterwards. He was the West Virginia High School Player of the Year, which apparently carried no weight with anyone because he hit 500 and he won 10 games. He played every sport. And um, he had one Division One offer. That was James Madison in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which isn't too far away. Colonial Conference. I mean, I'm not putting it down, but we're not talking about the usual ones. The SEC and, yeah. You right. know, West Coast schools and Texas and that. So he goes there and um, they drafted him or recruited him primarily as a pitcher. But they found out he, he grew two inches when he got there and put on some weight. And suddenly he kind of added some power in that. And he had a good uh, first two years, but here's what happened. And this was the game changer for him. It kind of shows how um, scouting works. I mean, he was on the radar screen for teams, but then he went to the Cape Cod League. Do you know much about the Cape Cod League? It's been around forever, and I know it's a good barometer for the majors because they use wood bats there, right? Exactly. And it has been for decades, yes. So in the summer of 21, he goes to the Cape Cod League. He hits like 300. He leads the league in home runs. And, in fact, he started like three for 20-something or other and, and, and got better as he went along. And all of a sudden, he's becoming like one of the top hitters on people's scorecards or scouting cards. And then he goes to James Madison, and he's hitting like 380, and that's when he broke his foot. And so they, um, Cleveland took him anyway, number 16th pick. and. Right now, you can catch them at East Lake at Lake County. It's an interesting swing, David. It's he calls it a scissor swing. He's up on his front toe, and as as he swings, he kind of leans back. His back foot moves, and then he has a real short, tight left-handed swing. It makes a lot of contact. So while he's hitting 380, he's only got one home run, but he's got like 14 doubles. Remember, this is like 100 at bats. He's uh he's struck out only 15 times. He strikes out like one every eight or nine times. He's not drawn that many walks. I was there. I think I saw him see f- five pitches and he hit the ball four times. I mean, if he swings at it, he hits it. So when you say he's up on his front foot, when he when he pushes off that front foot, his back foot goes back in the box. That's what it looked like. But he said huh, it lines up. It lines up his hips, and he is it's a swing he's always had and. You know, nobody seems to like it, but they like how he hits, so they've left it alone. So I saw this scout from another American League team there, and I'm talking to him. And I said, what do you think? Because he says, I've been scouting the Midwest League most of the summer and turning in all the reports. And he said, I'm looking at that swing and go, that will never play. I'm not quite sure I've seen anything like that. He says, I'm watching. He goes, I'm a believer. And he said to me, watch, Terry, he hardly ever swings and misses. And he's got power. He's just, he's just learning. He's only 21. He's just learning um, what he can do. In fact, uh, Chase told me, I think he was only like six one or something when he went into college. He, physically, he's just blooming now. And I just, I mean, I'm fascinated. Look, 382 is 382. And that is not a hitter's league or a hitter's ballpark either the average hitter in the midwest league best 241 uh, and so you take that and it's even hard if you go through the whole cleveland farm system to find uh, a guy hitting over 300 i know we could play ops as ops is well over 900 it's high and i just think that uh there's something kind of cool about this story but to show you how um you know, things can be really difficult in, in the minors. Like the, the level below um, the level below Lake County is Lynchburg. That's the low A team. There was a kid they drafted out of North Carolina, Charlotte, named Nate Furman, an infielder. Kind of now he's a small guy, he's like five foot eight or whatever. Took him same draft as uh, as Chase. So he's sitting three twenty down there at Lynchburg. They move him up at midseason. He's sitting like 211. It looks lost. So that was another reason I was kind of impressed because I look at how is 
the, my prospect that I'm interested in hitting in comparison to how everybody else sits in the league to like people in the level below who come up and then age-wise. And he profiles strong in all those areas. And I, I like guys that don't strike out a ton in the minors. And it's not, by the way, he's got a really good arm. You could project him as a right fielder very easy. Now, the big thing, we just don't need any more broken feet. Yeah. 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 So, Terry, uh, you talk about bringing guys up, and would you leave him at Lake County to finish the year? Would you send him to Akron to let him get a taste of some double-A pitching? I might, Guardians I might, are always very deliberate with this kind of thing. Yeah, they don't want to They don't want to leave bad taste till, in his mouth. till the last week of the season. So if he goes up and faces, you know, plays four or five games, it doesn't go well, fine. Um, because when you have a player that's come through, this is a major injury he had now. You know, this is two operations. And he's a right-handed batter, so I believe it was the left foot that the surgery was on. And you could just see how um, uh, that could, you know, impact that, uh, impact the swing. But it hasn't. Um, he he's very very polite. Um, parents did a good job with this kid. You could tell that he's on the honor roll, by the way, in the Colonial Conference. I mean, it just there hasn't been a guy like this that they drafted in a while. Now Jonathan Rodriguez, another big guy, he's hitting, and he's just moved up to Triple A. He's got 28 homers between the two levels, but he's striking out about every three and a half times. Now we'll have to see how that plays, but. His, you know, this is what I heard. His exit velocity, you know, off the bat is one of the highest. And well, okay, fine. But what I like is when you have that good exit velocity because the bat hits the ball a lot. And that's what I saw. And with squarely, Chase. yep, and squarely, yeah, squarely, yep. All right, Terry, we got to move along here, but I do want to ask you. You know, it's been a tough month for Guardians fans, and it's all about who's next and how they can help the club. Let's talk about. I want to ask you, how do you think? They're using Gabriel Arias in the right way or not in the right way. And then we can talk about Juan Brito real quickly. But why don't you get into those two guys before we take a break? Okay. You know, Arias is, should be given a chance to play short. I just think defensively, uh, he's an elite defender anywhere he plays. He drives me nuts as a hitter. I've never seen a right-handed hitter look so helpless against left-handed pitching. I mean, he's under, last I looked, he was under batting 100. But you need to find out about him. And I think there's, a cautionary tale with Benson and with uh, Nolan Jones about dumping out too early on a guy that you had liked for quite a while. So let's see how that goes. I would want to spend more time with him than Rokio. And I like, I happen to like Rokio too, but let's, let's find out more about Arias um, as they go along. And that'll be it. Oh, Juan Brito, by the way, he's the guy they received in the trade for Nolan Jones from Colorado. So I'm talking to the same scout that was at that game um, in Lake County, been scouting the Midwest League. And I said, what do you think of Brito? He said, okay, defensively, he's not very good. Second base, third base, whatever, is, is not real good. I said, what about as a hitter? He said, now, now listen what I'm saying carefully. He reminds me of a young Manny Ramirez. Not the Randy Ramirez who's hitting 30 home runs. I, you know, Nobody knows that. But plate discipline bat-to-ball skills, just um, like if you look when Manny was in the minors, you know, he was a he was hitting 300 everywhere. Uh, doesn't seem to be in any way uh, overwhelmed by what he's seeing. So he said that's, he goes, this kid really has the looks of a really nice natural hitter. Be interesting to see where they end up playing him. I mean, I'm looking you know, in, in the early years of Manny Ramirez, <laughs> Manny hit 325 in the Arizona Instructional League. He goes to Lake County, by the way. He hits 354. Then he goes to Akron, only hit 272. Then he is 302 in Columbus. So, and back then he wasn't showing the kind of power. And that's what he meant. You see, Manny really never even hit. Excuse, excuse me, Jose never even really hit um, more than uh, 20 homers until 2017. So that's that's what he meant about just waiting to see. But he said, Brito, he goes, I could see why Cleveland really liked him. And I was told by the Guardians, of course, they say stuff like this periodically, 
that you know the, he they had as many calls about him as any prospect in the system, Brito. But so so did he say that, that Brito reminded him of Manny or Jose? No, Jose Jose Romero. Jose, okay, Jose, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We we but, all had a, we all had Manny on the mind because no, yeah, he was just in town. Yeah, right, Jose. Yeah. Excuse me, Jose. Yeah, because Manny started hitting from the beginning. Right. Yeah, Jose Ramirez. One of the most incredible roll-out-of-bed hitters yeah. in the history of baseball, probably. But actually, so. Jose was like, they just not without the power. You know, right. Jose always could hit. And so that's what I meant. Yeah, Jose Ramirez. So too many Ramirez's over the weekend. I need some more Ramirez's that could hit, because that's, that's a good <laughs> last name for this organization. <laughs> All right. So, um, hey, let's take a break here, Terry. That's some good Guardians talk, and, and fans will be able to watch some of these prospects and kind of see how they fit into the grand puzzle. Um when we get back, we're going to talk about Cade York. You wrote a really wonderful column the last few days about, I don't want to talk about Cade York, but I have to. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we have to as well. We'll spend a few minutes on that. I want to tell you why I think the Browns should sign a veteran kicker, even though they say they're not going to. I want to hear your take on that. So we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. We're going to get into some Browns here, Terry. So... I know you are the sports staff's kicking consultant, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we saw what happened with Cade York the other day, made three field goals against the Eagles, comes down at the end of the fourth quarter, misses a 47-yarder, penalty on the Eagles for lining up over the center. They move the ball five yards. Then he misses a 41-yarder, and immediately the Cade York questions start coming in from fans and uh, reporters about like, is this guy going to be okay? It, it was interesting too. It was a 47 yard on the first miss and then they got a five yard penalty and they moved it to the, the Browns actually kicked that. And it was a 41 yard, which was weird because it was, it went from 47 to 41. It was six yards. So I don't know if they noticed something or if there's, if it was just a mistake, but that was just a, a side thing. But where do you sit with Cade York as we are in the final week of training camp here? And what do you think he should be doing? I would have another kicker in camp. Me too. Because, well, two reasons. One is, um, what if these guys get hurt? I remember a couple years ago, they were going to go into the season. I think it might have been the year that they ended up with Chase McLaughlin kicking. Cody Parkey was supposed to be the kicker. And he got hurt right before the opener. But if they had him, McLaughlin, like on the, the practice squad or something. They had a guy around. So I like having that extra kicker because if your guy gets hurt, at least you have somebody else you've worked with. And then you turn around, and if your guy is struggling like York, I mean, the fact is whether you bring in another guy and that pushes his confidence or not, his confidence is shot right now. So he's just got to get past that, or he won't. Now, the tough thing, like a guy that like Robbie Gould would be a natural one to bring in, but I don't think he's coming in just to sit behind Cade York. He's not. No, he wants to sign for some decent money and he wants to play for a Super Bowl contender. But yeah. it's funny you mentioned him, Terry, because I was thinking about him too. And here's why I think they should bring in a, a veteran kicker. And I think Robbie Gould is probably too high of a caliber kicker to bring in for this. But I, if you, you know, if you're a kicker and it's training camp and you're the only one. I mean, Bubba Ventrone isn't a kicker, uh, the the Browns' new special teams coach. And Cade York stands around at practice every day with his thoughts mm-hmm. and his tee and his holder and kicks the ball. And I'm like, if you had some guy who was like late 30s, who'd been around the league for 10 years, just to hang out with and be like, hey, you know what? I went through a rough stretch in you know 2012, and here's how I got through it. Just somebody to hang out with and kind of ease your way back into like the normalcy of of kicking again and, and instead of just sitting there with your own thoughts i think if they found someone who would love to get out of the house for a month come and kick some balls hang out and then you know be on call you can still tell Cade york you're our guy but we want to bring someone in just to change the dynamic a little bit and give you someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of i don't yeah. see any harm in that it's got to be the right guy but for sure because some guys are just figured um Look, it's a chance for me to get back in the league or whatever. I'm not. He's on his own. Nobody ever helped me. So you have to make sure it's the right type of guy. Um, Someone but, who's sitting at home and would love to spend a month kicking some balls and and getting his toe back into also, football. Yeah, that you could put yeah. in. The, you could put in the game because bringing in another rookie kicker that doesn't really solve or some guy that's 
maybe kicked in three NFL games or whatever. That that's not the answer. Um, but I, they have to be concerned with this, and it is not a lack of ability. I mean, when he misses these kicks wide right or wide left, once in a while he really shanks one. But in general, they're good for five to ten extra yards than what he needed. His his leg is strong enough. And don't, we don't want to – I don't think fans want to see the Browns give up on – we talked about the Guardians giving up on guys yeah. too soon. You give up on a guy like this, and now he goes to um, <laughs> Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> And we, we know how that story ends. So. Well, the d- difficult thing too, David, is if you look at the stats last year, um, I want to think it was football, pro football reference, and they ranked 33 kickers as basically the um, regular kickers. And while Cade York made 75% of his field goals, which sounds high, it actually isn't. That ranked 30 out of 33. Nine of the kickers are making more than 90%. And the kicking has become such an art form. These guys are so good at it. I mean, Luke Gross's career kicking percentage is like 57% is conversion. You know, Don Cockroft was in the high 60s. Now, they both had some seasons higher than, than that than others. But you, that's why I think it is where we're shocked when people miss because they seem like they're almost automatic. I think you're on it. I think, Terry, we get Cade York a square-toed shoe, and he's off and running. Yeah. Well, he could be, be the last of the straight-on kickers. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, and, and to your point, they don't generally have guys that teach it. Uh, now, Cade's got – I asked uh, Bubba Ventron about that. He said, Kay's got his own kicking coach and that. And he says, most of these guys do. And Bubba said a part of his job was to really work with him mentally. And I'm sure he's trying to do that. Now, Chase McLaughlin, remember, he had all kinds of problems here. The following year, he signed with the Colts last year. And he had a really nice year for Ventrone. I also think it helped the fact that he was kicking in the dome um, big time. But we're, we're going to find out, you know, if this were uh, – his first season would be a little different. They always mention Daniel Carlson, who Minnesota cut after, had drafted and then cut after two games. He was cut after two games. He he attempted four field goals and made one, and they dumped out on him after drafting him. That's too soon. Uh, of course, he signed with Oakland. Yeah, well, then, then it was Oakland, or Las Vegas now, and he's, he's kicked great since then. Uh, they, will, they will drive you nuts, the kickers, they will, because I think, now, quarterback clearly is the most important position on the field, the hardest to find. But I would say second after that is it's hard to find a really elite good kicker. In the same way they say they can't find 32 guys to consistently start in the NFL at quarterback, you can't find 32 to consistently kick either, at least not at the high standard. That now is uh, what it means to be an NFL kicker, to make 85% or more of your kicks. I mean, there's maybe 15 or 20 of those guys, just like there are quarterbacks. Yeah, find some guy who's mowing his lawn, bring him in for a month, have him crack a few jokes, lighten the mood a little bit. You know, things will be fine. So I think they'll be good. So, all right, Terry, so Cade York is sitting with those missed kicks until Saturday afternoon (laughs) in Kansas City. Um, the Browns say they're going to play their starters like 20 to 25 plays. Is that the right decision? If too many, more, too few, right? Or right, if, right, around, if right not, around. If not more, I'd like to see them play the first half. I know they're all sitting there and they're worried about everybody getting hurt. But what have we actually seen from Watson where they're tackling or whatever? One series. Now, if Watson had played well last year in his last six games, I would feel fine about that. But clearly, there was a lot of uh, miscommunications and other things that were happening. And you can't replicate that stuff in your scrimmage with Philadelphia or in your own scrimmages because the quarterback's not getting hit. And um, I want to, I just want to see him play more. You just tell him, I didn't like the fact he was almost looking to run in those games. Uh, the one game against Washington. No, don't do that. But I want you to move the ball. Let's see it. Just get some some flow going. You know, Nick Chubb doesn't have to play. You know, you don't want to play Miles Garrett because he's had this foot thing. That's fine. But Chubb and, excuse me, Watson and those receivers, 
They need to get some timing and get things going. The offensive line needs to play with him some where it really is all and out football. Um, and then was a weird thing mentioned like, well, it depends on how many, how much Kansas City plays their starters. I think, what does that have to do with anything? I have no idea. I'll tell you this. Now, I know it's a different sport, but like when you're, I'm down in spring training, I tend to go towards the end. I mean, they're playing their starters five to six innings anyway. And they're not saying, well, you know, if the Dodgers aren't playing their regulars, we're not going to play ours. So go, no, my, our guys, my pitcher needs his innings. My hitters need his at-bats. Now, they don't want to make sure everybody looks healthy, all that kind of stuff. Granted, they're not getting hit. But the way pitchers go down, you know, you could you could get in a paranoia. Well, I'm not going to pitch them because they might hurt their arm. But if they don't pitch, their arm's not going to be strong. Well, it's the same thing here. You have to take a certain amount of contact or whatever. I think just to be ready for opening night or opening day, in the case of the uh, the Browns. I mean, it's Cincinnati. It's Pittsburgh. Then there's Baltimore. Three of the first four. You got to be. This is not easing to the regular season. Yeah, it starts for real. And if you're gonna if you're gonna have your guys play the first half or the first twenty or twenty five plays, would you rather have them play against the first team front seven for Kansas City or the second team front seven? I don't like, care. Who, who cares? They like cares. if they take out their starters, that's a good thing. Because when Watson when Watson was struggling last year, it didn't matter who the other team was because he was messed up. And when he got it cooking, and that for example, in that second half game against Washington last year, which was a very good defense. That didn't matter either. He was cooking. I just want to get turn up the heat. Let's let's get that stew tasty. Get it ready. Get the recipe right. All right. Well, that's Saturday at 1 o'clock, and uh, then it's on to the real thing after that. So it's coming up fast. So, hey, Terry, before we move on from the Browns, I want to talk about you had a lovely comment about Doug Deacon over the weekend. Uh, you spent some time telling his story. Do you want to get into that real quick before we move on? Well, I just realized, you know, it's a, it's a year since Doug retired. I just wondered how he was doing. I know some of the fans were. So I went out to his house on the west side. He has got one of the greatest views in all of Cleveland. His house is right up against um, Lake Erie. I mean, there's his house, there's a patio, and a cliff drops down, and there's the lake. And not only do you just see the beautiful thing, lake, you look to his right, and there's downtown. I mean, it's a fabulous view. Doug's really, Doug's really content. Um, his two kids live nearby. He's still close with his former wife, Connie, very close. Um, plays a lot of golf. But, you know, he, as he said to me, his, I think he's 74 now. His, his, his back was beat up, and he's had nine surgeries and that. And he, I think he was almost embarrassed sometimes. He said coming into the stadium where he needed to get kind of needed a cart to get around and uh, just thought it was time to time to quit. But I just kind of wondered how he was doing. And he's doing well. Of course, he was very frustrated by the Browns last year. Drove him nuts, he said. Um, he watched the games on TV. A couple of times he went, I guess, with Browns backers thing. I think it kind of drove him nuts because the team went bad and everybody was yelling at Doug to <laughs> fix it or something. <laughs> uh, but overall, yeah, he said he went to two games. The alumni. One was the Jets game. He goes, yeah, I left with like two minutes to go. And uh, they were up by 10. No, they were up by 14, Doug, and they blew it. And then the other was the Patriots game. Remember, that they, they were never in that one. So that was a, so he's not boycotting the Browns or anything like that, but he's also knowing that um, that chapter is over for him. Check that out if you can. Uh, it's still up at cleveland.com slash Pluto and uh, really nice column, Terry. So hopefully fans can find some time to check into that. So, all right, we're going to touch on the Cavs real quick. Uh, Kathleen Thompson, longtime listener of the podcast, she has written in and she says, Hey, Terry, I'm looking forward to the upcoming season for the Cavs. They're going to miss Lamar Stevens. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Lamar Stevens? Thanks for that, Kathleen. How, how big of a departure you think he's going to be? He was always a guy I thought was underused once he established himself as being a good defender and a tough small forward. And I know they love the three-point shot, and that's not his specialty. But Stevens and Okoro, um, they did bring something to the team, you know, and that was – so I think that's that's a guy they'll miss. And I understand now, you know, they went out and they traded for um, – I mean, they added uh, – a couple of guys. So especially 
Uh, by the way, I'm interested to see uh, Niang uh, from Philadelphia. I was listening to an interview with a guy that covers the Sixers, and he said, beyond question, the, their most consistent guy coming off the bench was George George's Niang. He said just because he, he said, he, I mean, he shot 40% on threes. So, you know, now Struess had some up and down shooting games, but, you know, he's going to be the starting small forward. And I guess they just figured with him being the starting small forward, a core off the bench, you really don't need Stevens. And he was in one of those trades. But um, I'm with I'm with Kathleen on that. I I mean, I wouldn't have prevented me from making the moves, but uh, I like him. Yeah, it'd be interesting to follow his career as he goes along and see if he does get more minutes and more opportunities. So, all right, we got one more Cavs question, Terry. This one is from Rich Smith from Columbus, and he says, Hey, Terry, have the Cavs had any contact with Ricky Rubio or his agents regarding the length he'll be stepping away from pro basketball? It would be beneficial to know if he would miss part of training camp half the season or a full year. I understand with mental health issues there's no timeline, but will the Cavs have to hold that roster spot open until they get a definitive word one way or another? And, again, that's from Rich Smith. Uh, it's kind of, if you're playing GM here, Terry, in terms of that roster spot, there's really no rush, right? You, you can kind of just ride that for a while, I would think, right? Yes. And, um, I mean, the reason they, tri- they picked up Ty Jerome was because they were worried about Rubio anyway, not for, so much from the, the mental side, but he had that second ACL operation on his knee and he just did not look anything like the other, the guy that was, uh, prior to the injury so they hit, brought him in you know that's one of the guys that's a backup point guard and um my guess is the Cavs are aware of some of the possible timelines but they're not going to say anything in that um in that environment there it's just too bad because man rubio was so good with this team when he first came here a couple of years ago and he and that was the, the thing that's uh remarkable he and darius garland had the best plus minus of any two guys in the NBA during those first 40 games or 50 games that they played together. Uh, they just totally blended well together. And so we'll have to see, but I know that they were concerned just about Rubio coming back physically from the knee after what they saw last year. Yeah. And when something like that happens, you just got to give a guy time and space and, and, and see what happens. And, um, and that can be depressing, too, because, you know, Rubio's played forever, uh, and I'm sure he worked very hard about the comeback. And while he said his knee was fine, his play said something was wrong. Because remember, he could he could hardly make a shot last year. It was pretty sad. And he wasn't moving as well, either. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, Terry, I think you started playing pro basketball when he was 16 yes. back in Spain, right? So, I mean, yeah. it's it's a big adjustment. And um, so I think the guard chemistry, Terry, is going to be one of the big storylines early in the season. And, um, but I think Ty Jerome played about 45 games mm-hmm. for the Warriors last year. I think he shot about 48% from the field and 39 on threes. So it's, how those guys mix and match will be one of the interesting storylines. I mean, they can put in the backcourt um, and, you know, try to, play that way with 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 Struess and Donovan Mitchell or 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 with a Garland um, but I like the fact that they have Jerome is more of a pure point guard I like to have one of those and sometimes you could find another guy floating around and just bring him in who could um you know get get things set up Yep, give you some good minutes. So, all right, we do have a few Hey Terry questions, Terry, that are kind of random and maybe not related to what we were talking about before. So, let's get into those. I love this one. This is from Chris from Denver. He says, Hey Terry, would you rather have Mr. and Mrs. Mobley or Mr. and Mrs. Naylor as your parents? Wow. We've talked a lot about both uh, the Mobleys and the Naylors in terms of teaching their kids the fundamentals, um, how sound they are. And I thought that was a fun question. What do you think of that? One? And also to, to <laughs> the fact they're both, I mean, look, you never know totally how is a person, but there are no bad stories about the Mobleys or the neighbors or the kids getting in trouble or anything like that. Um, and so uh, it's nice. I'll tell you one thing. If you're going to have brothers on your team, you better make sure they come from good parents because that could create all kinds of problems if that's not the case. Well, I don't know how I would answer that one, but I would say I'd rather be the Mobleys or the Nailers' uh, kids' accountants. That would be my Yes, preference. you would. You certainly would. <laughs> all right, and this last one is from longtime listener Jack in Erie. He says, hey, guys, I wanted to tell a story about my dad for the podcast. When my dad, 
he's fine. He's still with us. Was a kid. He was in a bad car accident where he lost several teeth. And to this day, he uses false teeth to scare us. Anyway, his his dad, my late grandfather, sent the Indians a note telling them that his son had been in an accident. He got a personal handwritten letter from Herb Score. Hmm. And he knew it was really from Herb because of the handwriting, which was askew. (laughs) (laughs) He still has that to this day. I only heard Herb live when I was like 10 years old. But I remember it, and I think his name should be out there in right field at Progressive Field. So that's from Jack and Erie. Thanks for that story, Jack. That's a good one. (laughs) That is a thought of, well, Herb, I believe, is in the Hall of Fame. He is in the Cleveland Hall because he went in with Rocky. And that was one of my favorite memories because at that point, Herb had had so many strokes he could hardly speak. Rocky was there pushing him in the wheelchair, and really served as Herb's VR guy. Remember, Rocky's going in both. They both are, talking about how great Herb was. But there's a special thing like they have the Joe Tate perch, you know, uh, there. And I think they should maybe even have a little broadcaster section in Cleveland. for Herbie's Haven or something Herbie, like that. Yeah, huh? and then, you know, Tom Hamilton's going to certainly fit there. And you could go back. Jimmy Dudley was a broadcaster in Cleveland. He's in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, Jack Rainey, some of these others, it, it would be it'd be kind of a cool thing for them to do. So um, that's a thought. All right. Well, thanks for those letters. And we got a bunch more, Terry, that we didn't have time to get to today. I'll try and roll them into next week's podcast. But if anybody out there wants to send us a comment, question, a good joke, uh, any feedback on the podcast, you can send those emails to sports at cleveland.com and we will take a look at them and try and get them on next week's podcast. So, um, I think that's it. We good. Anything else you want to get into? That'll do it. All right. I do want to mention that Terry has a newsletter. It is free once a week. I believe on Mondays, you get everything that Terry has written over the last week. So if you signed up for the one that came out yesterday, you would have gotten the Doug Deacon column as part of that offering. But you can go to cleveland.com slash newsletters and sign up. It's really easy. It takes like a minute and it's free. So that's a good way to keep up with what Terry's been up to. So, all right, Terry, that'll do it. Um, We'll have some good stuff to talk about next week with the Browns and the Chiefs, and we'll keep track of uh, Chase DeLauder and everybody else, all these young prospects. We'll catch you next week, everybody, on Terry's Talking. 